Thanks for joining us today on the Beach Church Podcast. As a church, we exist to reach, raise up, and release followers of Jesus who change the world. Thank you for partnering with us in that mission. That's what we're exploring in this series. What did Jesus really say? Is this statement, do whatever makes you happy, something that Jesus really said? And we are going to be exploring that for the next four weeks here at Beach Church. Uh, Welcome. My name's Kira. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, And really, as we continue to move forward in this series, we are going to be looking at some statements over the next four weeks. What did Jesus really say? Uh, and some of these statements that we're going to look at, uh, the, the things that Jesus didn't really say, uh, they could be things that he said, right? They might even sound like, no, I'm sure Jesus said that somewhere. Or maybe I want Jesus to say that somewhere. As I was uh, thinking and praying through the message and, you know, watching the Jags game and all that, and uh, there's a series of commercials out right now that I think encapsulate uh, this this titling of this series so well. And in the commercials, I think it's a car commercial. Uh, In the commercial, uh, there are a couple different series of them. The two in particular that stick out to me, though, is there's a couple, and they've gone kayaking, uh, and they've got all this stuff, and they're at the lake, and they're starting to pull the things out, and the wife says to the husband, hey, where are the life vests? And, And he's like, oh, I thought you said you were getting them. Oof, every husband knows the pit in your stomach at that moment, right? And he said, and, and she looks at him with the glare, and, he's, and she's like, no, you specifically said you were getting them and putting them in. And he's like, no, you said you were doing it. And you're in this situation where it's like, no, 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 I could have sworn that you said this. And you're convinced in that moment. There's also one of the commercials. They're all sitting at, uh, it's probably Christmas dinner, and uh, the grandmother's there and asks, where are the sweet potatoes? And the mom looks at the, the daughter, and she says, oh, well, you didn't get the sweet potatoes. And the daughter says, well, they weren't, you didn't put them on the list. And the, the kicker in this is they then pull out a replay flag, and in the middle of the commercial, stop everything, and they go, look. And I love the moment on that person's face when it's like, oh, yeah, I I did say I was going to, I said I was going to get the life vest and put them in there. And, And it just reminded me and made me think of this series. There's so many things that we may think and believe and want Jesus to say, but what did he really Say, And that's what we're going to be journeying through over the next couple of weeks. Today, specifically, uh, we are looking at uh, not you get what you deserve. Sorry, that's the wrong graphic, guys. We'll pull this out for everyone. Uh, Not you get what you deserve, but we are looking uh, specifically at do whatever makes you happy. Now, I desperately want Jesus to say this. Uh, I want him to say, hey, Carrie, you can do whatever makes you happy. Uh, Unfortunately, unfortunately, it's just not in the scriptures. So where does this idea of happiness come from? Everyone, in some senses, we want to be happy. 
We want that sense of happiness. Uh, and, and doing whatever makes you happy is, is what we can think that we actually want. But there are some issues specifically with this. Uh, Stephen Evans uh, said this in the Pocket Dictionary of Apologetics and Philosophy. This in the, the, the definition of happiness in there. He says, broadly speaking, Aristotle tended to think of happiness as consisting mainly of activities. And so with happiness specifically, happiness uh, in the Greek philosophical thought came up as this pursuit of activities. Why? Why did they think of this this way? Because as Tere just said, happiness is fleeting. It's a moment-by-moment thing where we go after happiness. And specifically, there was this Greek thought... Uh, we're going to have some Greek lessons today. Eudaimonia was the Greek thought, is the Greek word that encapsulated to be happy or to be fortunate, okay? And, and so this developed, uh, this developed through the modernizing world uh, and from guys like Aristotle and, and really took root in the culture. There's only one problem. The New Testament, which is written in Greek, does not contain this word anywhere in the New Testament. Nowhere will you find that specific word. Mainly, you may find this word, makarios, and it means pertaining to being fortunate or happy because of circumstances. So fortunate, happy, and blessed. And in fact, if you open up your English translation Bibles, you will rarely find this word happy in there. Generally, this word gets translated as blessed. Jesus says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Wait a second. Blessed are the poor in spirit? That seems a little bit contrary to do whatever makes me happy. Because I, uh, if, if you're like me, I never want to be poor in spirit. I always want to be happy. I want to be uplifted. And yet Jesus points to these other things. And, and so there really develops uh, this sense from, from this word that happiness is based on circumstances. It's based on the moment. And you see, happiness is always contextual and circumstantial. What does that mean? That means you can have it one minute and not have it the next minute. That also means that something that makes you happy right now might not make you happy a week from now. Let, let's have a little example. I found these Reese's popcorn in the uh, back room over here. If I eat this entire bag of Reese's in the next 30 minutes, I could be happy right now. But a week from now, when they're sticking right here on my body, I may not quite be so happy, will I? So there's a tension between happy now and happy later. In the flip side, if I, eat a, if I eat two kernels of this right now and then wait and have some more later, uh, I, I might be happy later because this isn't sticking to my body. But in the right now, all I'm going to think about is the rest of the kernels in the bag and how I don't have them. You see, happiness, happiness is so circumstantial and contextual. And quite honestly, when we 
are chasing after happiness, it's exactly that. It's a chasing. It's a run after. And eventually what happens to me is I become tired and weary from chasing happiness. Anyone else get that? You, you become tired of chasing that next thing, that next thing, that next thing that's going to release that serotonin in your brain to give that chemical to you that says, oh, now I'm happy. And you see, I, it really becomes a myth. Happy becomes a myth. Because even in that one moment of being happy, is not going to last. Parents, you know this. Uh, uh, two weeks ago, exactly, there was a lot of happiness from some things that came out from under the tree, right? And yet, your kids this morning uh, probably have forgotten about half the things that came from under the tree, haven't they? It's fleeting. It's chasing. It has to keep being refilled and replenished. And so, this is a myth. Jesus never said, do whatever makes you happy, because Jesus knows how fleeting happiness is, and in fact, Jesus, he wants something way more for you than happiness. He wants something that lasts, something that's not circumstantial, something that's going to be here one minute, gone the next, something that you're going to grow weary and tired of because of your consistent and constant chasing after. And so, what did Jesus actually say? There's another word in the Greek New New Testament, kara, and it is the experience of gladness, a state of joyfulness. This word is translated into the English joy. Now, joy and happiness, we may think, are the same thing. They often get talked about together. They're they're often looked at together, but they are not the same thing, specifically because joy is a state of being, which means it is not based on a circumstance of the right now or the context of what's happening. Joy is something that you can have through any season, any situation, any circumstance. And so in the New Testament, we find this word joy coming up again and again and again. In fact, Jesus' brother James, the very beginning of his letter to Christians, he said, consider it pure joy, pops up, this is that word, Kara, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I have a trial come up in my life, I rarely consider it joy. In the context of James, James is writing this letter to Christians in the first century. And specifically, the types of trials he's talking about are nothing like the trials that I go through today. You see, I go through the trials of uh, an email didn't send, or I go through the trials uh, of I didn't get out for a run today, or I go through the trials of there are no waves and it's flat, right? Like, these are my trials of, of today, first century problems. James is saying, hey, Consider it pure joy, Christians, in the first century, when you face trials of many kinds. What kind of trials were those first Christians facing? Uh, They were being dragged into arenas and being fed to lions. 
They were having boiling oil pour on them and being lit on fire. Wow. And James still says, consider that joy? Anyone want to sign up for that? You don't have to raise your hand. Yeah, James says, no, no, no. There's something about this joy thing that even in the face of the biggest trials you might have, you can have joy. You can consider those moments to be producing joy in you. Paul, who wrote uh, many of the letters in the New Testament, he wrote to some Christians in Rome, and he said this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what Paul believed, and here's what he experienced in his own life. He experienced that God would do this. He would fill Christians with joy. That's very different than you and I chasing after happiness and experience or substance. He said there's something unique about this God that we have, that the people who are his own He puts this special thing called joy in them, and he does it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he said just a chapter before that. He said, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. In some senses, I'm very disappointed about this. I like both of these activities well. says, but it's of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul says, you can have joy no matter what circumstance, no matter what trial, no matter what lack of happiness you have, or what peak of happiness you're on right now. There is joy that is available to you. And so, what I want to do is take just our last couple minutes of time and, and find out, what does it look like for you and I to get this filling of joy. Not something that you and I chase after, but something that God freely gives to us who follow Jesus. Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Meaning that God will produce this in us. He will produce this fruit in you and in me. And so here's what, here's what Jesus actually had to say. Jesus never said, I'm sorry, do whatever makes you happy. But Jesus did say, there is a way to have joy from which my Father will give it to you. And so there are going to be a couple key, key words for us in this passage to hold on to. John 15, the context here, Jesus is with his 12 disciples He's coming to the end of his life. He knows he's getting ready to go face death on a cross. And he's prepping these 12 guys for what's going to happen because he knows I'm leaving them here. And there's going to be a gap of happiness, but there's going to be an opportunity of joy even through what's about to happen to him. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. 
This is going to be one of those key words. Remember what Paul said. Paul said that joy is going to be a fruit of the Holy Spirit that gets produced in you and I. And so, he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. He says, remain in me. That's our second key word. So first one is fruit, second is remain. Jesus says to these closest followers, he says to you and me, remain in him. As I also remain in you, he says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying there's a fruit that gets produced in your life when you are connected to me. Paul believes that fruit to be those fruits of the Holy Spirit, one of them being joy. That is, you and I remain connected to Jesus. He will produce that in your life. You will not have to chase it. You will not have to manufacture it. You're not going to have to do anything to fulfill it other than remaining in Jesus. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Look at the emphasis Jesus is putting on this word remain. Over and over and over and over and over. He's reminding us, no, 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 stay connected. Stay with me. Chase after me. He says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus believes that for you and I as followers of him, we actually bring God glory when that fruit gets produced in our lives. There's something about that that lets other people see, oh, that person's God like is, is real. There's something too this thing that they're talking about. He says, as the fathers loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my father's commands and remain in his love. And so here Jesus tells us the key. How do you actually remain in his love? And for some of you, you've been waiting for this. You've been waiting for kind of the punchline. Oh, the commands, that's it. We're going to get a whole list of rules and laws that we're going to have to follow here to do this. But stick with Jesus. Stick with him here. Because I believe he's truly, truly, truly going to show us something so simple, but not easy with this. Then John 15, 11, He's told them all of this for a very specific reason. He says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. 
That's the whole purpose that Jesus has of saying, I want you to remain in me so that a fruit gets produced in you that produces my joy within you. Let's think just for a second about the statement Jesus is making here. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God of the universe, creator of all things. Joy is his. And what statement is he saying? He says, I want that joy that I have that's within me, I want you to have it. I want it to be in you. And I want it to be complete. Another way to translate this word is to the full. The full measure of joy at any time. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. That's it. That's how you remain. You love each other as I have loved you, Jesus said. It's not a list of 10 commands. It's not a list of 613 commands, which in the Old Testament are ascribed. Jesus says, you remain in me one very simple way that is very difficult to actually live. You love one another as I have loved you. He says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because the servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Here he is back to the fruit again. He has a very specific intent and purpose for you and for me in our lives so that we would experience his joy and that that joy would be borne out to other people in the form of how we love them and how we love one another. He says, fruit that will last, meaning not circumstantial, not based on context, not based on the moment. Fruit, joy, that's there for you even in life's toughest trials. Joy that's accessible to you even when you get that diagnosis. Joy that's there even when you're betrayed by a friend. Joy that's accessible to you even when the job is lost or the promotion didn't come through. I think we'd all agree those are moments where happiness is difficult. But Jesus says there is a joy that is available in those moments that will last and it will sustain through. Not because of something you do, but because of who Jesus is and what he will do in you. I loved what Claire said in her baptism video. She said, I grew up and I knew God. My parents had told me about him, but it wasn't until I desperately sought after him that I began to see my life change and I began to see him do things in me. What was she saying? I made a choice to remain in him and when I did that I began to experience fruit in my life 
from him. Not things she was striving to produce, but something that God was doing inside of her. Jesus has a strong desire for you and I to experience that fruit of the Holy Spirit, that fruit that will last. And so, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you, he says. He says, this is my command, love each other. Simple? Yes. Difficult? Extremely, extremely difficult. Here's what Stephen Evans uh, in that definition of happiness goes on to say. He says, Christians tend to link true happiness with the blessedness, makarios, that we talked about, found in knowing God. You see, while the Greek philosophers and the world that would develop and the world we live in now, they are always pushing us to chase after happiness. What is the next thing that's going to bring you fulfillment in the right now? What's the next thing I can market to you? What's the next toy I can get to you? What's the next substance that will alter you in some way to bring you the happiness? Always promising this is going to be the thing that's going to bring you happiness and it's going to last. And every time, falling short. Every time. Because it's all based on circumstance and context. But what Stephen Evans is saying is, no, no, no. Christians link, link that blessedness that's found in knowing God. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying we remain in him. And in remaining in that pursuit of him, in that constant going forward after him, something beautiful happens in our lives as we return to him time and time and time again. And so as I prayed through this, this is really where I landed with this passage. Joy, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, a fruit that God wants to produce in your life and in my life. And it's available to us at all times. There's not a time in your life that you cannot have joy in the midst of anything. The reason you and I are Christians right now is because those Christians that James wrote to in the first century, they took what he said and they saw it produced in their lives. Not just this was a great idea. As they stood martyred in the arenas, they considered it pure joy, not for what was happening to them, but for who they knew in the person of Jesus. They had something lasting beyond a momentary quick hit. They had a God of intimacy who had come to them. They had a Savior in Jesus. This is the gospel story that when you and I were separated from God, he sent his son Jesus so that you and I would not have momentary happiness, but we would have everlasting joy available in the person of Jesus. And all it takes from you and I is to respond to the invitation that Jesus gives to us. To respond to say, yes, I want to pursue you, Jesus. Not my own happiness. I want to remain 
in you. And so as we start off 2023, as we start thinking about the things Jesus never said, Jesus never said uh, you are going to get a stocking full of everything you ever wanted and could hope for. That's not his promise. His promise is, I will remain in you. And you will know a love that you have never known in your entire life. You will know peace in times that you should not have peace. You will have joy that will be uncontainable and you'll walk into a room and people will know that you're going through stuff and they'll say, but how do you have that joy? And you'll say, I know a guy. And he has offered me everything I all, always needed, hoped for, and chased. But guess what? I don't have to chase those things anymore. All I have to do is simply sit with him. And when I do that, when I sit in his word, when I sit with his people, when I lift my voice to worship and praise him, he does something in me that I can't do in myself. He produces a fruit within me, a joy that's everlasting, that remains in me as I remain in him. And so I want to ask you today, do you have a remaining relationship with Jesus? I'm not asking, do you know him? You can know him all day long. You can point to him, say, hey, that's Jesus right there. I, I want to ask it and let you search your heart with the Lord. Do you have a relationship with him that lets you remain in him day in and day out? I want to make a promise to you as we go into 2023 here. If you will make a decision in 2023 that says, this whole year, I'm going to remain in Jesus. I'm going to find my ways to be in God's word. I'm going to find my ways to be with his people. I'm going to put down chasing happiness. And I'm going to chase him with all of the vigor that I chase my jaguars. All of the vigor that I chase my substances. All of the vigor that I chased my money and my family, I'm going to chase Jesus that way. Here's what I promise you. If you will choose to do this for just this one year, do a try and buy. If you will choose to do this, here's what I promise you. Your life will be way different next January. You will have a joy that Jesus has given to you that you could not have produced in any other pursuit that you did this year. And so, as we launch into this year, this is one of the reasons we start the year with a 21-day fast. We do it because sometimes we just need that little reset. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a while, but if you're honest and you're having that conversation with the Holy Spirit right now and you're a little hot in here under the collar, you're like, I'm not remained. This 21-day fast is an amazing opportunity for you and I each and every day to wake up to say, God, you are first. Jesus, I need you. I can't keep chasing after me anymore. 
and to take those steps forward where we say, Jesus, I want to remain in you. I want to see your fruit produced. I want to see my family changed and impacted. That you and I as a people, as a church, we would see an amazing thing happen in our lives. We would see the transformation, the same kind of transformation we heard from our friends who got baptized, as they see God come alive in their life and offer them joy that lasts in place of happiness that's chased. And so if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the first place for you to start is to start that relationship. Paul says in in his letter to the Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God saved him from the dead, you will be saved. Today is your day. I want you to confess today, Jesus, I need you to be my Lord. I believe in my heart, God that you raised him from the dead. As we sing this last song, you declare that to him. Make it yours. Make it your faith. If you're here today and and you're kind of like, yeah, I've been chasing a lot of happiness, guess what? That's in the past. All that matters from this point is forward, chase after Jesus. Like Claire said, get desperate for him. Are you desperate? for Jesus in your life. Let's let this be a year where we get desperate for him and watch him do an amazing thing in each and every one of our hearts. Jesus, we love you. We are so thankful for all that you've done for us. We are thankful uh, that you chose to come and make a way, pave a way for us to be connected to our heavenly father. And that through remaining in you, the Holy Spirit, who you promised those first disciples and you promised us, he can produce a fruit within us that we can't produce on our own. No amount of chasing happiness will lead to being full. But you said, I want to fill you with my joy so that your joy may be full. Lord, I pray that for us. For those that are here today and you've never said yes to a relationship with Jesus, I pray right now that that you would just pray this with me. Jesus, I need you. I'm ready to lay down my life so that you would come in and make a change. You would remain in me. What Paul said in Romans, I believe it. I confess with my mouth, Jesus, that you are Lord. Believe in my heart that, God, you raised him from the dead. Would you be my Lord and Savior? And for all of us, I pray that we would have a desperation for you, Jesus. That we would come in and recognize chasing my own happiness leaves me tired and weary. But remaining and resting in you, Jesus produces a joy that I can't explain by my circumstances, only by a person who had come so that I could have life. Would it be so in all of our lives? And it's in your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen. 
Thanks again for tuning in to this week's podcast. We'd love to connect with you and hear from you on how this week's podcast impacted you. You can always connect with us through our app, Beach Church Jacks, which is found on the iTunes Store or the Google Play Store. And you can always go to our website, beachchurchjacks.com. Have a great day.